I invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, Gospel of Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, we'll read the first 11 verses. Mark 1, listen, this is God's Word. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes one who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Well, every morning I endure about four and a half minutes of impatience colored by expectation. Four and a half minutes is about how long my coffee maker takes to make my morning cup of coffee. It's frustration or it's impatience because it can't come quickly enough. But it's anticipation because I know what's coming at the end of that four and a half minutes. We can understand a little bit of our children's and maybe even uh, for ourselves as adults our sense of impatience waiting for Christmas, our sense of anticipation of all that it holds out for us, we imagine. It's not four and a half minutes, it's more like a few weeks, but imagine going for 400 years of waiting, of impatience, of anticipation. I'm beginning a new sermon series today that will take us through the Gospel of Mark. Mark is the shortest of the four Gospels widely believed to be the first to have been written. Its author, John Mark, was a close friend of the Apostle Peter, so we imagine we're getting mostly Peter's stories of his time with Jesus. John Mark is a relative of Barnabas, a sometimes companion of the Apostle Paul. He likely wrote this from Rome during a season of troubled times when the Jewish-Roman wars are uh, at least beginning and they end with the destruction of the temple in A.D. 70. John Mark, or Mark as we've come to call him, 
is retelling the story of Jesus composed during a time of crisis for Christians, when they're in the minority, when they're under threat, when the world is in upheaval. And that might have something to do with why the Gospel of Mark is where I wanted to park for the next several months. This, by the way, is also my first time preaching through the Gospel of Mark. As we like to say around here, it's a big Bible. Our text this morning, by way of introducing the whole Gospel, is Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. There's a lot of good stuff that you heard me read in the subsequent verses. We'll get there, just not today. But here's our text, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance and the forgiveness of sins. These opening verses, but especially the opening verse, introduces for us the whole Gospel of Mark, And that opening verse introduces for us three terms that are central to our understanding of the whole book. First, there's this that's the beginning of the gospel. But second, it's a gospel of Jesus Christ. And third, the gospel, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But as you start to weigh those three terms, and we think we understand what they mean, I want to bring you back into them and and lay them before you. But even before we begin to understand that, we can read on and understand that these terms drive us back to the Old Testament. Mark does this very intentionally by quoting Isaiah. Actually, he quotes Isaiah and Malachi. And there's an allusion in here even to a quotation in Exodus, and we'll get there in a moment. But in other words, this is how we are to read verse 1. With the arrival of John the Baptist on the scene, we have this signal that the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy is about to begin in earnest. The Old Testament prophets had for long years, long ago, announced the breaking into history, the arrival of Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, who would, after so many years, bring about another exodus, another deliverance, a better restoration. And he would do that through his own son, the anointed one, who we come to learn is Jesus of Nazareth. So Mark, in his gospel, this book then, is the life-giving story of the life and the work of Jesus Christ, the anointed Son of God, who came to set into motion God's work of a second and ultimate exodus restoration and renewal. And he does that, of course, through his life that will culminate in his death and resurrection and return to heaven. He, Jesus Christ, is the Son of God, and the message of the Old Testament is that his arrival 
will be preceded immediately by another messenger from God. And this messenger will come and he will prepare the way. He will announce the impending arrival. He will clear the path, as it were, for this coming king. The last prophet of the Old Testament, the prophet Malachi, in chapter 3, 1, announces this, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. This is Yahweh saying, I will send my messenger, he will prepare the way before me. And this is probably an allusion to Exodus chapter 23, where the Lord announces to his people through Moses, he is going to send a messenger or an angel to go before them as they wander through the wilderness on their way to the promised land. That angel will guide them and protect them and preserve them until they enter the land. And before Malachi, the prophet Isaiah had written in chapter 40, verse 3, a voice cries, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And Mark now conflates these prophecies into one. And he attributes this to Isaiah to say, this John the Baptist who suddenly arrives on the scene and who is in the wilderness and who's this bizarre character and who's preaching and proclaiming a message of forgiveness and repentance and forgiveness, who's dressed a lot like Elijah, the one who's also predicted to come, this John the Baptist, when he arrives, is the fulfillment of the Isaiah Malachi, or Micah, uh, sorry, Malachi prophecies that God is about to work. Of course, Mark is writing long after all these events occurred. Mark is writing from the perspective of the completed work of Christ here on earth in the flesh. He's writing from the perspective of the most central acts of God's deliverance and renewal and restoration having been accomplished in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And he knows that this, what he writes, is only the beginning of the gospel because he is walking and witnessing in a world where the gospel is continuing to be proclaimed and embraced as it goes to all the ends of the world. And so we look forward to our own celebrations of the Incarnation. We look forward, many of us, with some sense of, of impatience and some sense of expectation. We want to hear again the stories of how Jesus came into this world or how the eternal Son of God came into this world and was given the name Jesus. And we want to hear the stories of the mighty acts of Jesus who came to bring us into the promised land. That's going to be the message of the Gospel of Mark. It'll occupy a good deal of our time in months ahead, God willing. And the message for this morning and the message of this season for ourselves and for the world around us is that God has sent his anointed eternal son to bring us good news. He came to be the great deliverer 
And this is good news for us, and it's good news we're to believe and embrace and enjoy and share with others. The audience to which Mark was writing lived in a world upside down, a world in conflict from a position of weakness. And we live in a world that's not all that different in so many ways, and we have a message that Mark gives to us here. There's good news. Believe it. Again, all that's contained in the first verse, again, with this sense of background, this Old Testament history to understand. This is the fulfillment of God's promises. Again, Mark introduces these three terms I want to look at a little more closely, the gospel and Jesus Christ and the Son of God. The gospel, this is good news. Mark is not referring here to a kind of literature we now call the four gospels. He's not saying this is one of four. He's saying this is good news. And the prophet Isaiah, to whom he is going to allude in a moment, was speaking to a people who were either going to exile or were receiving this word in exile. And his message for them is God is going to come. He's not done with you yet. The Lord had been very clear to his people from the beginning that as he brings them into this land, as they wander through the wilderness, as he brings them into a land prepared for them, a a land that should remind them even uh, further back of the Garden of Eden, he reminds them that their possession, their enjoyment of that land is in some sense conditional on their faithful obedience to all of his commands. They're to walk with Him. They're to serve Him. They're to worship Him. They're to listen to Him. And if they do all that, they will enjoy fruitfulness and peace and prosperity and rest. And of course, you know, the problem is that even in their best days, the nation of Israel was unable and unwilling to live up to that standard God set out for them. And for years and generations, the Lord's threats to His people that disobedience or idolatry especially would result in expulsion from the land. And all those warnings sent through all those messengers fell on so many deaf ears. There were times the Lord would lay the blame for their disobedience on their leaders. That notion of an ideal king, someone to be like David but better David, whose own kingship was was marked by sin and scandal, but also repentance and restoration. Kings that after David and Solomon would perpetually, it seems, lead the people into idolatry until the Lord finally acts on his threats to deliver them over to their enemies. He banishes them from the land. And it's a form of chastisement. But it also contains within it the seeds of an identity crisis. Does the Lord still love us? Is this the end of the line of the story of God who had called us to be his own people? Does the Lord still have a plan for us? Or does our story run out here? Where is the Lord? What of those promises He made to us? 
There are all the kinds of questions that they would have been asking that any one of you might be asking of the Lord when you go through dark or difficult periods of life. So many of the Old Testament prophets, the later ones especially, would begin to promise as they were directed by God that the Lord would preserve a faithful remnant, that He would return to His people, or maybe even more accurately, He would not actually totally and utterly abandon them even in their exile, though they seemed like it. But there are as few Old Testament texts as clear and as hope-filled as Isaiah chapter 40. The word of the Lord to Isaiah, he was to declare to his God's people in exile, comfort, comfort my people. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Cry out to her that her warfare is ended. Her iniquity, her sin is pardoned. She has received from the Lord double for all her sins. In other words, Isaiah is saying a time is coming when God's covenant people can hope again, when they can trust that the Lord's time for His punishment has run its course and He will restore what is left and even bring them back into the promised land. It's a message that God's people should prepare themselves for the coming of a Savior who will lead them home. Their time of hard labor, their life in a foreign land is nearly over. Uh, Their return from exile is going to include this great restoration and return that will be even more dramatic and more lasting than the exodus pictured in the Old Testament or the entrance into the land brought in there by Joshua. Help is on the way. And the help will arrive in the form of Yahweh himself. And first again to arrive on the scene will be John the Baptist. And again, if you're wondering why John the Baptist is out in the wilderness, dressed like a weirdo, on the other side of the Jordan, or in the Jordan, what is he doing? He's the picture of the prophet of God calling out to his people. Someone is going to bring you back in. And it has something to do with your repentance of sin and the forgiveness of your sin. He is the voice crying in the wilderness, preparing the way of the Lord. And when John and Uh, John Mark and and all the other gospel writers give this picture of who John the Baptist is, vividly describing him as beginning his ministry in the wilderness, we're to imagine and to remember the Old Testament experience of God's people. Wandering, being punished for their sin, being prepared for entrance into a land that God had made for them. And not only is John... Uh, removed from the established religion, religious center uh, and the power of the city. But he's moved by a different authority. He carries the very message of God. And a message that they are now being released from their slavery. They're being able, there's a, there's a, a, a deliverer coming who will bring them from death to life 
who will usher them from wilderness into the glorious city, into the land of plenty. And that wilderness is that, that foreboding place of emptiness and lifelessness and infertility. And John the Baptist is beginning to attract to himself people who are empty and who are lifeless and who are unproductive. And for the first time in 400 years, God is speaking. God is announcing the time has come. This makes John the last of the Old Testament prophets who, like every other prophet commissioned by God to be the mouthpiece of the Lord, is calling his people to repentance and faith and announcing for them the coming of a great, the ultimate deliverer. All this is the beginning of the gospel, the good news. Well, Mark goes on to say it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the gospel is not about John the Baptist. We don't pray to John the Baptist. We don't worship John the Baptist. There's a lot more in Scripture about John the Baptist than we probably normally think about. But the gospel is about Jesus. The prophets who were predicting in the Old Testament the return and the restoration were predicting that would be accomplished through a Messiah, the anointed one, a new king like David, a descendant of David, but better than David, someone who will not only lead them back to the land, but more ultimately lead them back to the Lord. And so from Isaiah chapter 40, we get to Isaiah chapter 52. The good news of the gospel there is expanded and it begins to point to that deliverer, the person. How beautiful on the mountain are the feet of him who brings good news, gospel. Who publishes peace. Who brings good news of happiness. Who publishes salvation. And here's where it comes who says to Zion, your God reigns. And of course, chapter 52 of Isaiah leads to chapter 53, which announces the person will be a suffering servant. And chapter 53 eventually gets us to chapter Isaiah chapter 61. And we learn there the suffering servant will be anointed and empowered by the Holy Spirit to announce and to inaugurate this good news. This is the act behind the name Christ. We know verse 9, just to look ahead for a second, in those days Jesus came from Nazareth. But in verse 1, he's Jesus, the anointed one, Jesus Christ. And we're going to see in a moment, or not in a moment, but in several weeks, that Jesus is the one who is baptized by the Holy Spirit and by John. He is empowered by the Holy Spirit who will guide and empower him through his earthly ministry. And the good news of God's restoration, his acting again, has everything to do with who this Jesus is as anointed 
God is about to unleash. He's about to complete his plan of renovation and redemption and restoration. And it's going to be accomplished through his Jesus Christ, the anointed one, anointed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And at this moment in the Gospel of Mark, as he's telling the story, this Jesus Christ is just in the wings. Just off stage, but about to make this grand entrance, and John the baptizer is announcing or heralding the arrival of this king. And we today say, we're not here for John the Baptist, we're here for the king. That, prep, uh, that preparatory work of leveling mountains, of filling in valleys, of straightening roads, of smoothing out paths is all because the king is coming. It's crucial work. It is crucial work for John to prepare the parade route. But you're not really looking at the township workers who clean up the trash and make that road straight. You're looking for the arrival at the end of that parade of Jesus. Jesus will, and he does, make his grand entrance. He comes to, to bring that long-promised salvation and restoration. He's going to be anointed by the Spirit in this baptism, and we're going to see all that. But perhaps the most astonishing claim of all in this opening verse of the Gospel of Mark is that this is the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus of Nazareth, the Anointed One, the Son of God. Every other messenger, every other prophet was sent by God, maybe even empowered or anointed by the Spirit, had the words of God to bring to the people of God. But this one, the actual, eternal Son of God, co-equal and co-eternal with the Father who sends Him and with the Spirit who empowers Him eternally begotten of the Father, not created or made, but who will in His incarnation, by the power of the Holy Spirit, be conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary and will become what He never was before, man the God-man, and who will forever from that time forward be one person, Jesus Christ, with two natures, fully God and fully man. That great marvel and mystery we will never fully comprehend. But the only way possible for God, who announces His good news, to actually put that good news into effect no other Savior, no other Redeemer or Deliverer could have accomplished what Jesus Christ, the Anointed One, can do. In part because He's the Son of God and at the same time the Son of Man. The Gospel of Mark is the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. People might have met Jesus of Nazareth might have imagined him to be a great teacher, a great even miracle worker. Not all recognized he was anointed the Messiah and didn't receive him or accept him. 
and not all recognized in him that he was the son of God. The one who would come into our world and in the marvel and the mystery of his incarnation enter into our flesh and our time to bring about a long-promised restoration, a long-promised renewal, and who does that by way of the cross. All brought together in the person of Christ, who's raised from the dead. That, my friends, is good news. This is the anticipation of the season. And so we wait for Christmas, kind of like I wait for my coffee with a sense of impatience, is it coming? A sense of anticipation, it's going to be great. And beyond that, knowing that the gospel has already come to us in the person of our, of our Lord, the Son of God, made flesh, who died and who rose again, we have a sense of anticipation. And I hope for some of us at least that we have some sense of impatience waiting for his return again. And in the meantime, we have good news to share with others, even as we embrace that good news ourselves. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, thank you for the mystery and the marvel of the incarnation, for that long-anticipated promise fulfilled in the coming of Christ. Thank you for the Gospel of Mark, For the good news it is to us, because it lays out for us in every, on every page the life and the work and the person of our Savior. Thank you that you anointed him by your Spirit to be the Messiah. Thank you that he is your eternal Son. Thank you that he became flesh. And our Lord Jesus, thank you for coming for changing our lives, for giving us good news, good news that shapes our way of looking at life because it has changed us from within. Lord, enable us and empower us and create in us a desire to share this good news with others. We ask all this with a sense of anticipation. We ask it in Jesus' name, and we all say together, amen.